I just want to reiterate a couple of things. Um, so for the last several weeks, we've been doing the reports, um, using media to be engaging and to let you know what's going on here. So instead of doing this all in one great big meeting, we've elected to do it over several Sundays. Now next week, in second and third hour, um, we'll continue to do this in the great room. And I want to encourage you, if you're a member or a, a tender here, to, to make that a priority to come to one of those meetings and, and get educated on what we're doing here, the vision for next year, who the board members are, some things about the budget. But it's there for you to use. If you don't come, you won't know. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you uh, uh, to make that a priority next week. Well, happy Mother's Day. Yeah, you don't know what to do when I say that to you. A lot of you guys look at it, well, do I say that back? No, you don't say it back. You say it to your mother. Um, and I pray that Jesus graces our mothers this morning in a very special way. Um, I feel for the moms. Right? It, life has gotten complicated. It seems like it's gotten more and more complicated. Um, the in, I, I went to a, a really reliable resource uh, this last week just to figure out what is a good mom. So I went to the internet. <laughs> Amen? And I just typed in the words, what is a good mom? And I got a list back of what is a good mom. This is not my list. Don't blame me. If you don't like some of these, it's not me. Don't write any notes. It's not me. I'm not endorsing any of these. Amen? You got what I'm talking about this morning? But I thought, let's talk about what the internet thinks is a good mom. You ready for this list? Here's what it said. Good moms laugh at themselves. Good moms make mistakes and own them. Good moms say, I'm sorry. By the way, I would say perfect mom instead of good mom. But anyway, good moms speak highly of themselves. Good moms don't talk about others. Good moms dole out compliments. Good moms treat their spouse with respect. And good moms leave their kids. Now let me explain the last one. Because <laughs> it's not obvious. What it means is you're not a helicopter mom. You'll go, you'll take a time away from the kids, and you know, you'll, you'll realize they're going to be okay. Amen? All right? So it doesn't mean you leave your kids. So what do you think of the list? I don't think there's anything wrong with some self-awareness and some improvement. Um, but my question is, are these areas listed here the most important thing that a mom could do? Are they what should consume your attitude and your heart? What really matters the most? What should you be doing as a mom, as a father, as a, as a follower of Christ? That's the question we're going to address today as we finish out our, our, our First John a series this morning. Um, we're going to look at verses, I think, that are really rich and deep in their meaning. And you could go a lot of directions. But what I'm going to do is limit us to looking at this question, what should speak the loudest in my life? If somebody looks at me, what do they know about me? What would they say is the priority of my life? And so we're going to begin by reading verses 1 through 5 of 1 John 5. Eventually we're going to read through uh, 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 verse 12. But for now I'm going to re just read the first five verses. So listen to what 1 John 5 verses 1 through 5 tell us. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
So John begins here with this idea that everyone is supposed to love, right? In the first verse I read, we've talked about love a lot in this series. So you know what I'm going to do this morning on this Mother's Day? I'm not going to talk about love. Does that seem wrong on a Mother's Day? I'm, I'm, anyway, you all don't know what to say when I say things like that. Um, what I want to do is zoom in on, on verse 2. And I want to talk on that verse quite a bit. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. Now, one commentary I read said, it seems like that verse is almost backwards. It seems like it should read something like this. And this is how we know that we love God by loving his children and carrying out his commands. Doesn't it seem like it should read that way? But really, it reads the way it reads for a reason, I think. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and obeying his commands. It's setting for us a priority that first and foremost in our lives, what should prevail is that we should love God and we should love his ways. This then equips us to love others well. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, we demonstrate we love God by loving others. But the priority that this scripture sets down is this. Love God first in your life. Love his commands. And then you will love others well. You'll do good to them as you ought. Your love of people will be hampered, by the way. It'll be hindered. It'll be limited if you don't love God. If you don't have a love for God, the love you show for others can't be what it's meant to be. It's going to fall short. Amen? That's why John listed in this order. That's why there's this priority of loving God first and loving his commands. And then you're equipped to love others. Um, As John does so frequently, as soon as he gives this little ditty, this little uh, understanding of priority, he goes right into some um, action. Love's more than an emotional feeling. So he doesn't want us to understand, or he wants us to understand that if, if, if I love God, it's more than just saying some sentimental things. I'm going to love his ways. I'm going to do his commands. I'm going to follow after him hard. I'm going to be dedicated to serving him and obeying him. Um, and from that perspective then, I can love others well. Let's take this into our Mother's Day context, okay, this morning. Um, as a mom, there are a lot of things calling for your attention, Right? It's true for all of us. I mean, if you're going to be a good parent, you're going to be a good listener, right? Especially when your kids to be, uh, get to be teenagers. I remember my, my kids, when they all turn into their teenage years, they want to talk these deep talks. Usually at 11 o'clock at night, amen? I don't do all 11 o'clock at night. I don't know how you all do. I'm in REM sleep usually by 11 o'clock at night. But I am married to a wonderful woman who wakes up about 11 o'clock at night. And so she would have these really good conversations with a lot of our teens from 11 to 1 in the morning. That's when they want to have a relationship. And so to be a good mom, sure, it's important to be a good listener. And, and sure, you should be an encourager and an unconditional supporter of your family. These are really good things to do. Um, but the simple truth that John lays out for us here in the scripture is you're really never going to love that child and your family right, mom or dad, if you don't love God first, if you don't love his ways, because your love of them won't be equipped to be all it should be. It won't manifest itself the way it should manifest itself. 
other focuses may do some good and they, 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 they might help, but they won't be nearly as effective for that child as loving God, loving his ways, and out of that health and that kind of perspective than ministering to your kids. So this brings us to this big thought in this Mother's Day uh, message. An authentic walk with God, where the love of God and obedience to his commands are evident, is the most important priority for you. And you know what? It'll help others the most. Amen? So get this. Having a real ongoing relational dynamic with God, loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, being obedient to his commands, loving his ways, is the most important priority for anybody. That's what should speak loudest in your life. And out of that perspective and out of that relationship, then you know what? You can help others the most. I, I, I grew up in the 60s. And back when I grew up, the father had one main goal in, 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 in the family, it seemed like. What was that? Provide, right? Some of you guys know this. Their job was to provide, provide, provide. And that's what they saw their role as. Now, if you're a young dad today, you know your role is way more than that. Amen, right? Some things are good. Some things have gone the right direction. And, and so men used to be characterized by, I provide for my family, that's what I do. Well, that's not. That's, not, that's incomplete. And likewise, the moms were viewed as, you know, the nurturers, they take care of everything. They're the ones to love the kids and show them compassion and all that. And that's good, right? Still incomplete. Until we love God, right? Until we love his ways and they become things that are convictional in our life, we are ill-equipped to really be what we ought to be to our families. Amen? That's what John's saying here in 1 John chapter 5. Um, this big thought, by the way, gets at the heart of our discipleship as a church. So as a church, we believe people should be conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. This is the definition of discipleship. For the benefit of others, for the good of others, and the glory of God. That's essentially what John is saying here in 1 John 5. If you love God and you love his ways, you're having this really vibrant relationship going on with Jesus Christ. That blesses others and it brings glory to God. So he's basically articulating here in 1 John 5, Grace Point's discipleship understanding. John reveals to us a simple rule of life. I love simple rules. Do you like simple rules? Because I can't remember complicated ones. Simple rule of life is this. Love God and obey God. It's that simple. John's saying do that first and foremost. Love God, obey God. Everything flows out of that kind of relationship dynamic. Loving God, obeying God. Then you're equipped to do the rest of your life well. If you don't love God and don't obey God, then the rest of your life probably won't go all that well. Amen? Probably won't be what it should be. It'll be way less than it should be. So here's a reflection I want you to consider in this first part of the message. Love for others, even for your family. Love for others, even for your family, will not be all it could be if you do not love God. It'll fall short of what it should be. Now John does something he normally does here in verses 3 and 4. He says, love God, oh, you know, and then... Walk in his ways. And immediately in verses 3 or 4, he says, God's ways aren't burdensome, by the way. 
He doesn't want us to get uh, a wrong understanding of, of, of God's commands as being something burdensome. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, God's ways are going to seem strange to you, right? And his ways are going to seem un- unattainable to you. And his ways may seem burdensome to you. But if you've been born again of Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, then there should be birthed within you a desire for God's ways and a joy in walking in, in the freedom and the victory of his commands. Amen? They're not something you keep to be okay with God, but because you're okay with God, you have a desire to just follow these ways because it's life. It's victory. It's freedom. But if you don't know them, it's going to seem strange and it's going to seem burdensome. I remember when I entered into the pastorate, I'm going to speak to you really honestly here today. I had had a real big concern about going into ministry. Well, I had several. I'll just share one with you. I love change. Do you love change? So I worked at 3M for 15 years. And one thing we always joked about at 3M was, if you don't like what we're doing today, wait for tomorrow, it'll change. I had multiple jobs when I worked at 3M. I probably had six, seven different jobs. I like change. Every year or two, completely different job description, completely different things to do. It was wonderful if you like change. How many of you like change? I'm just curious. I love change, otherwise life's boring. When the pandemic came upon us, everyone's panicking, I'm going, what an opportunity to do some changing that needs to be changed. What an opportunity to maybe change some priorities, maybe think about life differently and what really matters. Instead of just getting through it and getting back to life as normal, maybe we should ask the question, what's normal ever good? Right? So for me, these things are, are, are like life-giving. I like that. So I go into ministry and I thought, oh, they do the same thing every week. Pastors, right? And I remember early on in my uh, uh, pastoral uh, experience at, at New Hope, talking to my wife one night, and I said, I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel here. Every week, I got to get a message done. I'm running on this little wheel. You know what hamster wheel is, right? They run on that little wheel, but they never go anywhere. And they're running, 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 like that. And I said, I feel like all I do is I, I get a message done. I do some counseling. I do a small group or whatever. And then I just start all over again. I never get anywhere. And I'm doing the message again. And before I even get this message done, I'm worried about the next message and figuring out what to say. And, and, and I, I was saying to her, it felt a little burdensome. And I remember her words to me. She said, Steve, you're looking at it entirely wrong. And anybody have a wife ever talked to you like that? Some of you won't even smile, will you? Yeah, she, she said, it's an opportunity. It's not a burden. You've got to look at it as an opportunity. Why is it an opportunity in your life? And she was right on. It was, she was dead right on on that thing. And basically, I begin to realize what an opportunity to have every week to dive deeply into God's word and to really look at the nuances of it. What does it really mean? I don't share half of it with you because we don't have time. But for me personally, what an experience. And then to come to uh, some of these realizations of these really neat ways that God wants to move in my life and then put it into practice. And I said, oh, it's really a grand opportunity, even though it's hard. Anything worth doing in life usually has some what? hardness to it. Amen? And so I begin to look at it as more as an opportunity. And then, you know, what was really fantastic, and I really begin to realize this early on, back in my days in Williston, was, wow, people's lives really change. When I left there to come here, I realized that in that church of 650 people sitting there that day, that were uh, in that last message day, 400 had been born again in that church. 
and were new to us. It was just phenomenal when I began to think about that. These guys are in the kingdom of God because of the ministry of this church, amen? And then coming here, it's been the same thing, man. It's been an explosive experience. So many people have such deep life change. God's ways are never burdensome, amen? They're never, they're never something that's a duty. They're a delight and they're good and they're refreshing. And they're like a fresh wind and a fresh fire kind of experience. So here's our perspective. God's commandments are not burdensome, never are. But rather they are instructions of victory and they're instructions of freedom. God's way are never burdensome. They're never hard. They're instructions to victory and freedom. So listen, I want to talk to you guys and your families right now. Some of you have young kids. You have a lot of opportunities. Some of you don't even have kids yet. Just been married. Hear what I'm about to share with you because this, this is life changing. You as parents have this unique opportunity to set a tone and a rhythm for your family that could be for the benefit of your children for the rest of their lives. If you love God and you love his ways and you make that a priority, then you're equipped to love your kids correctly and you can set this tone and rhythm that God's ways are good, that God's ways bring life, that God's ways bring victory. There's there's never a duty to follow God. One of the things I've always appreciated about my wife was she never ever speaks negative of the church. No matter what we're going through, no matter what people say. Because she doesn't, didn't want to harm our kids, ever. Amen? She didn't want them to have that experience. They would get some of that naturally anyway. And I've always appreciated that about her. On this Mother's Day, thank you, Vicki. That set a tone and it set a rhythm for our family that's really healthy. And I want to encourage you today Paul said, or excuse me, John is saying to us, listen, listen. Ultimately, we're supposed to love others. That's a manifestation that God's working in our heart. The way we do that is we love God, amen? We love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the way that we really are, are, are doing that is by embracing his commands, loving his commands, seeing that in his commands and in his ways are victory and freedom, all right? And so what we're supposed to understand is by, by doing all these kinds of things, there's a tone and a rhythm to our lives that's entirely differently. And if you will do this, young parents, in your families, your kids will grow up with a whole different experience than they otherwise would have, Amen? Do you realize the life you can impart to them? The goodness you can impart to them? Don't minimize that. Amen? That's what they need to hear more than anything. That's the way you love them as you ought to, to love them. And I pray and I hope this morning that what I'm sharing with you isn't something that you think, well, I don't know if I can ever do this. I don't know if I'm going to try. Yes, you can. In fact, that's where John takes us next. He said, all this is attainable by faith in Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ. So this brings us to this basic tenet of Christianity. Love for God and obedience to him are possible only through faith in Jesus. Now we know this, but John is saying love of others is incredibly important. The way you get there is by loving God, loving his commands, and the way that's experienced is by placing your faith solely in Jesus Christ. And what we need to understand is that this thing called Christianity is about transformation. It's about life change. It's about new creation. We piecemeal things together, especially we Americans. We want to add God to our lives just a little bit. 
and we want to do our lives and then take him in where we need him and kind of get rid of him when we don't need him, all right? We don't intentionally do that, but we tend to do that. Now, I love duct tape. Anybody like duct tape in here? I like duct tape. It's very useful. I remember packing up to move, and I think it was to Williston, and realizing I didn't pack one of the kids' bikes. They're all just sitting there. So you know what I did? I got a roll of duct tape out, and I taped them to the tongue of the trailer. And they went the 600 miles or whatever it was we drove on the t- tape to the tongue of the trail. It worked really well. Amen? Duct tape has its place. It's, it's, it's really good. Uh, but I'll tell you what. If you leave duct tape out in the weather, what happens to it? Eventually it gets crusty and kind of gets strange and it crumbles. It's not a permanent solution. What I see as an approach to Christianity frequently, even from the pulpit, is a duct tape. Well, you have a marriage thing. Let's duct tape that. You, you have a... Have a any problem, let's duct tape that. Uh, you know, um, you have a swearing issue with your mouth. Let's duct, and we piecemeal, we piecemeal, we piecemeal, we piecemeal. And it's like our, 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 our lives are kind of duct taped together. And some of you, by sheer strength of character and your own in, internal fortitude, can kind of make it work. But what we have to understand here is what John is saying is, no, 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 no. It's all about transformation. It's all about the natural man being put to death and the new person in Christ arising. It's all about being born again. It's all about faith, 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 faith. Amen? Years ago, when I first began ministry, I would listen to a couple messages a week by preachers, and they would do an analysis on it. And that was supposed to help you learn how to preach, okay? So I remember listening to this one message, and all of a sudden, I quit looking at it and analyzing it because it struck me so strongly. This pastor said, what do you think is the biggest sin problem of the church? And I thought, huh, I wonder what what he's going to say. What would you say? What's the biggest sin problem that we as a church face? You know, someone might say, oh, pornography or, you know, unfaithfulness in a, in a marriage relationship or it might, I don't know, there could be a multitude of things. Greed or pride, right? Or and those things. You know what he said? Unbelief. What do you think of that? Again, if you don't agree with it, that's all right. I didn't write it. He did. So, I, I mean, he said unbelief and I thought, huh. And I remember right at that point I was done studying that for my own methodologies and learning, I thought, what do you, well, that's interesting, right? Unbelief, is that the biggest sin that the church has? I got to thinking, he's on to something here. Because get this, get this now, there's this lineage, this linkage, I should say, not lineage, linkage, okay? We're supposed to ultimately love our families well, right? Mother's Day, do you all moms want to love your families well, right? All your moms want to do it, right? So, John says, how do you do that? Love God, Love is commands. How do you do that? Faith in Jesus Christ. What stops us here? What happens when we're ruled by unbelief? When we, when we think God really can't do a transformative work in my life. Or I don't think I can ever get over this problem or whatever it is. All of a sudden, we don't have faith in Jesus Christ. Are we going to love and do God's commands? Are we going to love God himself or are we going to resent him? Then are we going to love others? It all falls apart with unbelief. Amen. And for the Christian in the church of Jesus Christ, unbelief's a big issue. 
And I, I think that guy was on to something that day. The best gift you can give to your family, the best gift that you can give to your friends, the best gift you can give to the church like this is to be people of faith who believe what God says, who embrace his promises. Moms and dads, you should say, as for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to build our house on Jesus Christ in his ways. We're going to set that tone and that rhythm to our family. Well, <clears throat> let's head back to, to 1 John 5. I'm going to read verses 6 through 12 for you this morning. Um, we've already looked at the basic tenets of this message. Love God. Obey his ways. Have faith in Jesus Christ. And then you can love others. But John wants us to make sure that we have no doubt about putting faith in Jesus Christ. This is where he takes us next. Listen to this. Verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in an agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which is given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has, not, has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So, now, remember the order. Love others. Can only have that happen by what? Loving God, obeying his commands. Can only really realize that by having faith in Jesus Christ. So John, like he always does, he does some apologetics. He says, here's why it makes sense to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Three testify to, 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 to Christ. So I'm going to look at three proofs that testify to Christ. First of all, he says the water. The water testifies to the validity of Jesus Christ and why you should put your faith in him. Um, Several explanations are given, are given for what it means by the water. Uh, I'm going to go back to the early church fathers, Augustine. When he looked at this scripture that we're looking at today, he said the water and the blood were uh, there when the spear was stabbed in the side of Jesus Christ. Water came out of his side and blood came out of his side. So it's testifying to the, to the reality of Jesus and to his humanness and that he truly died uh, for our sins. Now, when a sacrifice was made back in the days uh, of... of uh, John, they would wash it first to symbolize that it's pure and acceptable sacrifice to God. And so by using water in association with the Lord and the sacrifice, he's saying perhaps that Jesus Christ is a pure, spotless sacrifice for us. Good thoughts, right? Well, then you get to Tertullian, um, another early church theologian, and he said, well, the water is the baptism of Christ, where Christ was baptized, Holy Spirit came on in the form of a dove, and God thundered from the heavens, this is my beloved son, who I'm, you know, who I love, and all that, right? Okay? And so, um, the idea here, though, with all these kind of thoughts and water is that the water testifies to some aspect of Christ's ministry and the reality that he really was, who he said he was, and that God was working in his life. All right? So it's, it's a witness. Now, Tertullian also said this, that he believed the blood pointed to the crucifixion of Christ on the cross when he shed his blood for us. So let's talk about the witness of the blood. Jesus bled on our behalf on the cross and died for us. And by the shedding of his blood, we know that our sins have been atoned for, paid for, and that we can have new life in Jesus Christ. So overall, what, what, what I think John's getting at here by the use of the terms blood and water is that Christ really came. Christ was really a person. Christ really died for us. 
What was happening in his day was some were saying things like this. Um, the man Jesus, when he was baptized, the Spirit of God came on him. And then when he was crucified, the Spirit of God left him. And they were kind of disassociating the humanness of God away from the divinity of God, okay? And John's saying, huh uh Jesus is the one who the water and the blood testify to. He, he really was human. He came. He was baptized. You know, when the spear went into his side, blood and water came out of his side. And when he died on the cross, his blood was shed for us, all right? So he's really saying Christ came for us. Trust in him, amen? That's what he's saying. Put your faith in him. And then he says the Spirit testifies to Christ. The Holy Spirit enables us to receive from, from God. Essentially, it's what's being said here. Let me read this commentary uh, thoughts on this. Man cannot receive the witness by himself. There are no human categories available to him through which he can understand it. God's redemptive act in Christ is not a bit of data. Humankind can deduce by itself by analogical reasoning. Like the resurrection, it can only be announced. And this time it was not made known by angels, but rather by the person of the Holy Spirit. So what this commentary is saying is that the Spirit makes it possible for you and I to have faith in Jesus Christ. So you know, I can sit up here and share with you a thousand data points. I can share information until, you know, I, I'm a hundred years old with you. It will do you absolutely no good unless the Holy Spirit is working on your heart and making it receptive to the truth of God. Amen? That's what this commentary is saying. And, and, and so John says, listen, we can put our faith in Jesus Christ because he really came in human form. The blood and the water attest to this. And the Holy Spirit makes it known to our hearts. Amen. These three testify that we should put faith in Jesus Christ. So you've got to understand what John's doing here. Do you, see, do you see this line of logic? He's saying this, basically. Blood, water, spirit testify to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to love God's commands and you're going to love God. And then you're equipped to what? Love others adequately. Love others rightly. So our conclusion today is this. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have a son of God just does not have life. Just won't work. So on this Mother's Day, the best gift any of us can give to somebody else, and this sounds strange, if you haven't listened to the message I shared with you, the best gift we can give to somebody else is love God, obey his commands, live by faith, then we're ready to what? Actually love somebody well, to do good for them. It fits into our discipleship statement. As we conform to the image of Jesus Christ, we love God's ways, we love God, then we can bless others, we can do good for others, and we bring glory uh, to God on high. It was 30 years ago that um, I was in some ministry study, and I was thinking back on that, and um, I had one class called New Testament. It, it's a very creative name. We studied the New Testament, so the class was called New Testament, amen? Um, and so one of the assignments I had in that class was to look at every single book of the New Testament, come up with a picture, either draw it myself, find something in a magazine, I, I'm dating myself, you know, or something like that, and, and put that picture down on a piece of paper and then write a title for that book. 
uh, of the Bible. And what we're trying to do is learn basic big themes of the New Testament books, okay? And so I remember the one I did for First John. It came right back to me when I was looking at this, uh, this, this epistle and figuring out how to finish up kind of an overall thought on the epistle. We have a silhouette here I want you to look at, but um, hopefully Alan will show it for us. There you go. So what I had as the picture was a silhouette of a parent teaching a small child. Now, I don't know about you, but I wanted to get my kids' attention when I was talking to them, especially when they were three or four years old. What do you do? You kneel down and talk to them. You don't look like this down at them. That's super intimidating, right? And so when you really want to communicate your heart, you get down on your knee, and you, sometimes I would even grab their little face. I said, look at dad now. I'm talking to you, right? Amen? Do you know what I'm saying? Especially when they're two or three because they have the attention span of about three seconds at that point, right? So you, you say, listen to daddy. I want to talk to you about something really, really important, especially if they were running out in the street and cars were going down that street. I didn't want them in the street, amen? So, so you talk and you give instructions. So when I look at the book of, of 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, the way I see it is this. We got this beloved disciple, John of Jesus Christ. And man, he loves us. And he's given us this great amount of wisdom. It's like he's taking our hands, our, our face in his hands, and he's saying, listen to what I'm going to share with you. This is so important. It's so life-giving. I'm going to share some thoughts for your good. And to me, that silhouette's the picture of John. Now, the title I had at that point was, you know, Instructions for Little Children. Now I would say Instructions for Beloved Children. And so this is, in a nutshell, to me, the book of 1 John and what we've been looking at for weeks, okay? And I want to leave you with this last thought then from this man that shared with us so much powerful wisdom. Make it a priority in your life to love God. Amen? Follow his commands. It's a faith journey in Jesus Christ. There's so much that witnesses to the reality of Jesus. The water, the blood, and the spirit. When we do this, then we're ready to interact with our world rightly, to have great, healthy relationships with our children. We can set a tone and a rhythm in our household that's entirely differently. Our kids can grow up understanding the things of the Lord because we're, 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 we're talking to them out of this vibrant, uh, real relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can minister to co-workers. We can deal with a world that's so broken and fallen apart without panicking and fear because we're grounded in Jesus Christ. Amen? It just changes our life. And to me, this is John, epistle to us, and especially uh, chapter 5. So I'm going to quit there. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Well, God, I want to thank you for the uh, epistle of 1 John and how it's been uh, such a good, good epistle to go through over the last several weeks. And I want to pray that you would bless all the moms among us, especially this morning, Lord. Oh, man, they're precious. I pray you fill them with the Holy Spirit. I pray you bless their lives. I pray you bless their parenting and their relationships with their husbands. I pray you be a hedge of protection around the households uh, and all that that takes place, Lord, in their lives. I pray more than anything that you strengthen them this day and fill them with your Holy Spirit so they, they, they find their, their uh, well-being in the, the Holy Spirit, Lord. Um, God, I just pray that we would, uh, we would lift them up to you, Lord, as precious. And God, I pray that for all our women today. Thank you for the women of Grace Point and for their vibrant love of you, Lord, and their walk in you. So many of them are truly a blessing to me, um, and they're so encouraging and, and, and loving of you, Jesus. I just pray that you would just bless them. I, and I pray we as men would, would, um, would just value the women in our lives, Lord, and, and thank you for the ones that you brought 
into our lives, Lord. Um, and I, I just pray that there just be this overwhelming sense of gratitude and heartfelt thankfulness, Lord, uh, for these wonderful relationships that we have. God, more than anything, we as followers, I pray, we set a tone and a rhythm that's entirely different because we love you, Jesus. And we love you, God. We love your ways. I pray these things in your name, God, and through your blood, Jesus. Amen.